From the University of Alberta Alumni Association, it's What the Job. I'm Matt Ray. You need to create a, a vision that people can get behind. There has to be a greater purpose beyond just coming in and doing your job. Why do we do what we do? Why should a person spend their life and a lot of their hours in the day trying to help your organization accomplish their mission? It's gotta be something deeper than making money or than getting a job done in X amount of time. It's gotta be something that pulls up people's heartstrings a little bit and gets them excited. On this episode of What the Job, I talk with the president of the food service equipment company, DSL, Reeve Bunn. As president, Reeve is in charge of running the business, which means supporting leadership, setting strategic direction, maintaining key relationships, and making sure the company is running smoothly. I talked to Reeve about his journey to becoming president of a company, which started with a foray into sports broadcasting. Reeve is a graduate of the MBA program at the University of Alberta, and we talk about the value of that professional degree. And since DSL is a 105-year-old company, Reeve talks a bit about what it's like to steer that company through its second pandemic. What the job is made possible with the support of our affinity partner, TD Insurance. Did you know that through the TD Insurance Mellish Monarchs program, University of Alberta alumni are entitled to preferred rates on car, home, condo, and renter's insurance? Save even more by bundling your car and home insurance. To learn more about how you can save, please visit tdinsurance.com slash ualbertaalumni. So what's your name and what's your job? My name is Reeve Bunn, and I'm the president of a company called DSL. I think you're the first president of a company that we've interviewed. Um, can you tell me a little bit about what, what DSL does and yeah. what you do as the president? Yeah, sure. So DSL takes care of all of the, the big food equipment that uh, restaurants and convenience stores use to make the meals that all of you eat. And some of the ones that are, are most well-known, we're, we're the folks that provide your Slurpee machines for 7-Eleven or your Froster machines for Circle K. Uh, we're the ones that provide pretty much all the cooking equipment in McDonald's and other large uh, QSR, quick-serve restaurant chains. Uh, so that's a little bit about what the business does. We've been around for 106 years uh, we're spread across Western Canada with about 140 to 150 employees at any given time. And what I do at DSL is I'm in charge of, of running the business. And there's a lot of different aspects to that. But essentially what it involves is I support our, our leadership team, our, our vice presidents, and all the departments that we have here. I help set strategic direction for the business in terms of what are we trying to do and what are we trying to accomplish? Uh, I'm responsible for key customer relationships, key vendor relationships, and then ultimately making sure that we do a good job running the company, right? That it's profitable, that we provide a really excellent service and excellent products, and that our, our shareholders and our employees are happy. It's so obviously a lot of responsibility. You talk about all the different uh, people that uh, will look up to you and all the different direction you have to set. Is that something that you've always been sort of interested in uh, in taking on those big leadership roles? It, it 
it came about in a in an interesting way. So I, I don't think if you would have asked me this as a young person, is this what you want to do? I don't think my answer would have been yes directly. But I was always tinkering entrepreneurially, even before I really knew what that meant. Uh, so all the way, way back from when I was a young kid, you know, I, I would always shy away from getting conventional jobs. And I'd always have these harebrained schemes to sort of figure out ways to make money. And and uh, it, it was goofy stuff. Like I would write a, a community newsletter when I was really, really young, like less than 10 and I'd sell ads to the businesses who <laughs> were only buying ads out of the kindness of their hearts and their generosity to me, not because there was any business case to have an ad in my little community newspaper. I'd do business cards. I'd hire kids to wash golf clubs at a golf course. Uh, I mean, just all kinds of stuff like that. So it was kind of implanted in me and I didn't even really realize it. And then as I got to be older and you come to that point in your life where you're deciding what do you want to do when you grow up. Uh, it evolved into, I had a passion for, for sports specifically, and also journalism and broadcasting. I was really interested in that. So that's what I started my educational journey with. And uh, I'm sure we may circle back on that later. But as I finished that, <clears throat> the same thing came up that I, I got out of school and I, I was still, I didn't want to go look for a conventional job in broadcasting. I wanted to find a way to start a little production company or to be a contractor with uh, other organizations that produce media or content. And it was just, it was kind of always wired that way. So it was this evolution that it took me quite a while to realize it. But I, I was always, you know, deep down, I guess I was always meant to be in business in some way, shape or form. It's really interesting to go back, you know, and trace both the sort of like unexpected result of becoming this president position, but also, you know, being able to put together those pieces that were always there. Uh, I am interested in these executive roles because I don't think we get a lot of executives on this show. But, you know, it seems like a different world, like it's a it's a challenging world. Do you find it? Do you find it invigorating to lead a company like that? Do you find it stressful? Is it both? And how do you manage that kind of thing? Yeah. So I think first and foremost, it is exciting. And if it isn't exciting to you, then it's undoubtedly the wrong role. Of course, there are always going to be moments of stress and turmoil and uncertainty. And that, you know, I assume that to be the case in most any role in any industry, in any profession. Uh, but if you if you don't get up not excited about creating something new, furthering a mission of the organization, uh, creating new opportunities for your people, then then, you know, that's the kind of stuff that's got to get you jazzed. If that gets you jazzed, then all of those all of those exciting things, it far outweighs the frustrations and the uncertainties and the risks. I, I, I kind of think of it like it, it is a, I think it's a more creative field than it probably gets credit for. I think it's often viewed as, you know, this very methodical, you go in and you analyze things and you use formulas and, and, and management philosophies and you put it all in a funnel and you arrive at this point and that's consistent and uniform in any businesses. And it's not like that at all, right? It's a lot there's a lot of art that goes into it. And there's a lot of creativity that goes into it. And all of that stuff is really, really fun. 
That's fascinating to me talking about creativity and art in a job like that, because, you know, as an outsider, I do imagine it to be more of that formulaic, you know, everything's by the book, you you sometimes literal books. But I, I'm interested if you can think, and I know asking people for examples off the top of their head is the cruelest thing a host of anything can do. But what, what does it look like to be artistic in a role or creative in a role like that? Yeah, well, I think the reality is, is that there are a lot of different potential solutions to any problem, right? And, and so you can have two businesses that are virtually identical and you can put a problem in front of them and the odds that they will arrive at the same solution are, are fairly small. Uh, so you have, you have different skill sets, you have different personality, you have different processes. And it's kind of like you put all of those elements into the blender that is your organization and the solution that you arrive at is going to be different. And then even once you arrive at the solution, well, there's 10 different ways to, to go from the idea to the execution of the solution. And so there is a lot of, there is a lot of art to it. And you've, you've got to, you've got to find the path that's right for you. Um, organizations, can be managed and led in very different ways, right? There, there are organizations that can be led sort of with an iron fist and sort of be dictatorial and, and uh, adversarial. And there can be organizations that are very open and transparent and have a lot of democratic input in how they make decisions. And both of them can be very successful. It's just a matter of uh, that they're clear about how they accomplish what they're gonna accomplish and that they get people that that believe in those sorts of values, whatever they may be. Yeah, I hear the phrase being intentional a lot. Uh, I am also interested in talking about leadership, just because I'm sure that's something that people are are thinking about in terms of their own careers. Maybe they're at a point where they'd like to enter a leadership position. Do you have a, a certain leadership style, or are you more reactive to what the people need? And how did you go about um, developing your own leadership skills? Yeah, well, so, so for me, I think that what's important to me is that um, is that my style is is very is to be very open. Uh, I I re- like to think that I'm I'm a good listener and that I take a lot of the input that my team has into account as either I or we go about making decisions. Um, and I like to emphasize communication a lot. It, it's a it's a thing that I quickly learned as I my my roles progressively got more and more responsibility. That you often underestimate how how much you need to communicate, and so you you find yourself in the positions I've found myself in them many times. That you say, well, I think that we talked about this before. I think that I've talked about this before. And you, you just can never stop talking about it, right? You, you have to, there's this old, uh, there's this old Stephen Covey saying that you got to say it seven times to say it the first time. And, and so you've just always got to be communicating. You've got to make a point of communicating. And, um, you know, I, I think back to when we were in the early stages of the pandemic, you know, two years ago now. Uh, the poor staff, they were seeing me on video and, and in updates literally on a daily basis. <laughs> I got, probably got very sick of seeing my face. Uh, but it's just that it, it, 
it's all, I think almost impossible to over communicate. And then the, the other thing that I, I would add, if you want to be a leader is that you need to create a, a vision that people can get behind. There has to be a greater purpose beyond just coming in and doing your job. Why do we do what we do? Why should a person spend their life and a lot of their hours in the day trying to help your organization accomplish their mission? It's got to be something deeper than making money or than getting a a job done in X amount of time. It's got to be something that pulls up people's heartstrings a little bit and, and gets them excited. And imagine finding that vision also requires communication, right? Engaging with that community, trying to understand your shared values and then crafting a vision from there. Um, I also am curious, you know, you talked about the pandemic. How was that? And, you know, when you're leading an organization through the pandemic, like that we haven't had a pandemic in a hundred years, so nobody knows how to navigate that. How did you find it? How did you manage? Well, it was very interesting. I mean, what you quickly learn is that a lot of the things that are superficial that were occupying a lot of the whole team's bandwidth, the whole company's bandwidth, just go away. Right. And so the ability to focus when you're in a situation like that is incredible. You you reflect on it later and you go, how could we bottle that level of focus and intensity? That was one thing that that I observed really quickly. And then the second thing is that your speed of decision-making is so accelerated that again, you're, you kind of, as you look at the bright side of it later on, you go, boy, we probably accomplished more in a month during the pandemic that we might have in a quarter or in six months in normal times. Right. And again, one of those things you want to try to hang on to, Uh, but as you're in the pandemic, uh, again, uh, it, as with the example I just mentioned, I think the biggest thing was being honest with what was going on. And sometimes that's not, you know, that's not fun because like a lot of businesses, we had moments where we were impacting negatively as an organization, where we had to say goodbye to people that we didn't want to say goodbye to and and customers that, you know, stopped doing business with us for for a time all of those things happen to us just like they happen to so many other organizations. And uh, the approach was to just take it head on, explain why it was happening to the whole company. Um, like I said, I, I would, at, at the outset of it for probably the first several months, I would, I was on uh, a video or, or a podcast or an email every day to the entire team and, and that was really the approach. It was empathizing with the fact that everybody was scared. Um, we, had, we had a large contingent of our team here that is out in the field every day. And so, you know, when you're out, like you talk about first responders and you talk about people that, that are on the front lines, our technicians were, were visiting all of our customer locations to repair their equipment, keep them running interacting with them. And so, you know, on the flip side, that's a, it's pretty scary for them, especially in the early days. And B it's pretty humbling and inspiring for those of us who aren't in that situation. Right. And so, so, uh, you know, there was a lot of different elements at play. It was a, 
it was quite a learning experience. And as I, you know, did in the intro said, we're 106 years old. We're one of the few companies that have been through a pandemic before. There you go. Yeah. Of course, none of the people that were here at the time, you know, here then are are here now, but the company survived it. We've been through it. And and so uh, some of that played into the messaging that we talked about too. Yeah, that's a good story there, I bet, talking about the different pandemics and the different ways you got through it. And it looks like there's lots of good learnings. And you see that, I think, in a lot of different businesses and companies uh, that things that you do during the pandemic um, are going to be things that are just going to become permanent now, right? And I think we're seeing that with the way that that people work, a lot of remote work now and things like that yeah, as absolutely. well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm also interested in talking about this radio background and 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 I'm kind of curious, you know, does that play a role in what you do now? How much is that learning that you did from the very start? You know, do you do, you do some play-by-play during the day? Or like how much of that comes through in your job now? Yeah, well, we're sitting here recording this right as the exactly. NHL playoffs are starting. So if you want, I can maybe do a live play-by-play of the first 10 minutes of the first period or something. <laughs> but I think it does come into play. I mean, you, I've mentioned communication several times already, and certainly it helps with that. Right. I I have an education in communication. And so when it helps me when I'm addressing our team, uh, when I'm trying to convey a message to a customer, a vendor, whomever it might be, it it definitely helps. Uh, How often? That's a good question. I I, I guess it would it would probably help me. Geez, probably three times a week, Uh, you know, and and I, I say that in terms of the frequency of of internal meetings we have, how we communicate across the company. So yeah, it comes into play quite a lot. And I know you also did an MBA at the University of Alberta, right? That's um, correct. What what is it that you, like you know MBAs to me? I'm I'm all arts, so I don't really know this world. So I don't really know what goes on in an MBA. But what what do you learn? Like what's so valuable about that kind of degree? Yeah, well, you you do learn the management and leadership theory that I guess is this sort of foundational piece to running or, or being a key person in a business or, or a nonprofit organization. Uh, but I would say further than that, you learn how to problem solve, how to work as a team. You build an incredible network of people and, and that network, um, often from what I've seen goes on to do amazing things together, work together, start businesses together, go in these really exciting new directions together. Uh, You know, it's, it's a great group of people that end up coming together in the MBA program. In my stream was the executive MBA program. So obviously we're older students and uh, we're all in jobs already uh, and looking to, further our knowledge or, or for some take a, a different step or a next step in their career. But you, you have this combination of there's all of this amazing theoretical material that you learn, practice, uh, execute. And then there's all of the element that you would kind of consider on the periphery of not necessarily the class material, but all of this huge gain that you get as a person from whom you're interacting with, um, how you're working together as a team. Uh, and then uh, I think a lot of that will probably carry forth for many, many years or decades in our lives after our MBA is, is finished. 
You talk about building a network. Um, the NBA is a good help for that. And are you still in touch? Do you, do you maintain that sort of network? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. So, you, you know, uh, there's, there's crossover that, uh, you know, there's people that um, may one day hopefully have a, a role at DSL that I went to the MBA program with. There's people that have become really good friends. There's people that are are mentors and sounding boards. Uh, so yeah, all aspects of uh, what you would hope in a good network have carried through the MBA program. I'd like to just trace your your career a little bit more. You know, after the MBA, um, how how did you kind of end up? Like, what was the path you took to get to where you are now? Sure. Yeah. So. Uh, I guess from where I left off before talking about my entrepreneurial kind of youth days and then kind of moving into the working world and finishing radio and television. So I, I finished radio and TV. Um, I went and I did, I did some, not for very long, but I did some contract work for um, a little bit with a company that does the, the internal uh, Oilers um video production and that sort of thing. Little bit for a couple shows with much music uh, back when they were still producing quite a bit of sort of reality type content. Uh, and then, you know, I, again, I kind of got what, I guess what turned the corner for me was I sort of got the, the entrepreneurial nip and uh, um, in the group of companies that I'm in now, there was one company that, that I had, I see, saw this opportunity to just kind of, take something in a different direction uh, and approached the owner about it. And they said, well, you know, that might, we don't know that we quite want to do that, but we've got a job that we love somebody to bring some fresh ideas to. Uh, and it started as it's, it was a very small, you know, 10 person uh, craft and hobbies wholesaler. So think yarns, knitting supplies, scrapbooking that we would sell to those retailers and kind of be a wholesale distribution business. And uh, that's not the most hopping industry. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, we're not, we're not startup tech or anything like that. So it was really come in and, and uh, be creative and try to see if we could, we, we could turn that business around a bit. And uh, thankfully that, that worked out well. We, we had a good little run there and then we successfully, kind of exited that business and, and, and moved on. And that just kind of started to snowball. Uh, so I got into this, this, this little, uh, this little small conglomerate of a handful of brother and sister companies that are all owned by the same group. And I just started to move into different roles throughout them progressively. So my next life was just a project manager in commercial textiles. That's sheets and towels to hotels and hospitals and work camps and uh, starting up some overseas production of some of the stuff, but which was, which was a lot of fun and a huge learning and exposure to international business and all sorts of things. And after that uh, moved to the mothership corporate head office, which uh, then led me into uh, DSL where I am now and had three roles before the role of president here at DSL. You've been in a lot of different industries then, and it, I'm sure that's a benefit. Yeah, it, it's it's been really helpful to have a, a little bit of a broader exposure. And I would 
I, I guess I could have mentioned this before, but again, a huge benefit of the MBA because you get all of these different perspectives and whether it's your peer group or the material you're covering in the program, you are considering things from a hundred different angles that are so unique to the perspective you had coming in that it just opens your eyes, right? It opens your eyes to a whole different way of, of looking at things and, and processing problems. So had that professionally. And then of course it kind of went on steroids in, in the MBA program. It's interesting too, to me, just because I know, you know, a lot of people I think are kind of scared to change for industries. And, and a lot of people I think try to line up their personal passions or their personal interests with the, uh, the, the industry of their work, but you've been happily hopping in between them and seeming to embrace that change. So wh how do you do that? Yeah. Well, I, and I think there's a good case for both paths, right? There's a, a great case for getting very deep in a specific channel, right? It's kind of like that old thing where you're either, you're either broad and, and shallow or you're narrow in breadth and you're deep. And, and so knowledge experts can certainly be very successful and can hone in and progressively get to a point where they are uniquely skilled to, to you know, win and, and succeed. Uh, for me, I guess it's just more that I get excited by learning new things. Uh, and, and even the reason that I went back to school, uh, I was already in this role when I went back to the MBA program. So I wasn't doing the MBA program to say, I'm trying to elevate my position within the company. I was, I was the president as it was. And so for me, it was really just that quest to continue to learn. Right. And, and so that excites me. Uh, you talk about those things that get you up out of bed and get you excited. For me, that's one of them is just continuing to learn and be exposed to different ideas and, and different ways of doing things. I suspected it must be something about the the process or the action and learning. It makes a lot of sense. One thing I ask all, a lot of guests about because it's I always find it's good advice for people is about mentorship and volunteering and ways that those have helped career journeys. And I wondered if you had any thoughts personally about about those those two things. Yeah, yeah. So uh, first of all, mentoring. I've been fortunate to have some really great mentors that have helped me a lot. And so I sat on that side of the table for many years as I was a, a young person finding my way. And, uh, you know, that was invaluable to me. It just, it just helped, helped answer some of those questions that are hard to answer or help give good ideas. And since then I've tried to make it a point to, to, be a person like that for others. And uh, it's taken a few different forms. Uh, actually, that's that's how I, I got in touch with you guys. And Jennifer was the U of A has a mentorship program. And so I put my hand up and said, I'd, I'd love to do that. I'd, I'd be thrilled to to help in any way that I could there, uh, which all, you know, led me to talking to you as, as we're here, Matt. And, uh, you know, had a, had a few awesome experiences with Junior Achievement, which is an organization that I just think the world of. Um, their mission is to educate young people about money and business. And uh, 
uh, I'm biased, <laughs> obviously, but I think that's a part of the education system that's lacking. So that's just so, so fun. And, uh, you know, whether it's mentoring a, a young group of, of high schoolers that are, they really go into boot camp mode and start a business. And it's amazing to watch them do it, right? And we sit there, a few of us, and we, we help them along and, and give them a little bit of guidance, but they go through this program that ultimately 12 weeks later leads them with their selling stuff for real, <laughs> with real money. Uh, so that's been extremely rewarding. And, and then on the other side of it, um, more through DSL, uh, we're, we're big believers in the Ronald McDonald House, and that's a cause that we support a lot. Uh, it's very meaningful for me and for, for our organization. Junior Achievers sounds really full circle for you. I hope one of them starts a community newsletter and you put a DSL ad in there <laughs> for them. Yeah. Well, you know what? If if the business idea was community newsletter, us mentors would probably be giving them a pretty hard time going, oh, I think you could do better. <laughs> they could definitely they could definitely surpass me at that business idea. So you you went from a, a you know a technical degree. Uh, not from the U of A and into, you know, kind of a prestige program, MBA. I know it's a professional degree, but it is a master's. What was it like? What was that transition like? Yeah, it was, it was interesting. And I think that there is a bit of a, there's a bit of a stigma there. I felt a bit of a stigma and I don't, didn't feel it as though it were imposed by the university itself, but it's a bit intimidating that you, you, you wonder about, will I get into this program? And uh, in my case, with the executive MBA, uh, the university says that they will consider the full, you know, the full background of the applicant. And, and I obviously, I guess I'm proof that, that that's true, that they did that. We had a lot of great conversations and interviews about what I had done in my professional career and uh, my education prior to applying for this program. But, you know, I, I guess for your listeners, if they're in that position, I would say that you, 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 and you want to do something like that. And your background is such that you're not quite sure you, you just, you got to try, right. And you've got to find people within the program that you're applying for that, that can make you more than just a name on an application, right? Uh, the business program is great at this. I can't speak for all the others, but there are people there that want students to join and succeed and are willing to invest time and energy in you if you want to be there. Uh, so you know, I'd encourage people to seek out, seek out the support system that all of the different schools at the university offer and to have conversations with them. Even if you're going, I don't know if I'm quite there. I don't know if I quite, you know, qualify for this. Uh, find out and and don't assume the worst. Yeah, that's really good advice. Um, yeah, it's just kind of interesting, right? Because uh, I wonder, you know, you thinking about you, you talking about how maybe you you wondered if you're going to fit in. That's, I think, a good experience, right? When you go to become a leader, because you can empathize then with people who are maybe struggling or don't feel like they belong. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. Uh, that happens everywhere, right? That happens with people that are are working for you. That happens with people that are just taking on a new role within any organization, business or otherwise. Uh, so it does build a, 
a higher level of empathy to just figure out how do you help those people? How do you help those people feel confident in what they're doing or trying to do? Okay, so we're going to move on to the lightning round, which is brought to you by... Yeah, it is. Uh, brought to you by our affinity partner, TD Insurance. And so these are all just simple questions. I ask them to every guest. Um, most of them are straightforward. Uh, first one is, have you ever been fired from a job? No, I have not. Um, when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Well, I thought I'd be a professional athlete. And I guess that was my, when I realized that I stopped growing at five foot like nine, then my fallback was, okay, well, can I at least talk about professional athletes and be a sports broadcaster? <laughs> um, what is something that you wish people knew or understood about your job? Um, you know what? Probably that y- you have a lot of conflicting priorities and you can't do everything at once. So you always want to give customers, employees, shareholders, everything that they want, right? And that's a long list of things. Uh, Sometimes they're patient, sometimes they aren't, but you can't do it all at once. What advice do you have for someone who feels like they're stuck, like they're in a career rut? Change now. And so that was another lesson that I, I learned as I was going through, specifically through the, the EMBA, deciding to join, you sit there and you always think that, well, conditions aren't right right now. And you in your own head, you build up this utopian future that in six months or one year or two years, all of the pressures that are stopping you from doing what you think you should do now will magically disappear and the world will be perfect. And every you know, every light that you need to be shining will be shining for you. It's not going to happen, right? And, and for most of us, our lives are going to get more challenging. Our responsibilities will grow. Our, there's no better time than now. So if you're thinking about it, do it now. And what do you think you'd be doing if you weren't doing the job you have now? I would be starting another business. I figured you'd be in the booth calling the playoff game right now. Yeah, you know what? I, I, as much as I thought that was awesome, I don't know that I'm good enough to pull it off. I'll go start another business in some other. <laughs> <laughs> Those guys are pretty darn good. What's your favorite thing about your job? Well, my favorite thing about the job, twofold. One, it's really exciting to support this many people and help them provide for their families. You kind of feel a, you feel a great responsibility there. Um, and, and, uh, you know, I feel, uh, because we are such an old organization to be able to carry forth our legacy is really meaningful to me. And then the second thing that I really like about my job is that idea of where do we go in the future? That is so fun to be able to take a, an empty canvas and start painting on it. Uh, nothing more exciting than than charting the course for the future. Uh, speaking of the future, let's go the opposite and go back in time. If you could go back and talk to yourself just after you graduated, let's say just after you graduated from radio and TV, what what would you say to yourself? What kind of advice might you have for your younger self? Huh, 
I would I would say that uh, I would say that don't don't get stuck by what my classmates were doing at the time. Uh, so, so like I said, I, I finished the program and then I kind of veered immediately to the right and I saw everybody else from the program going to the left, right? And following a different path than I was following. And, you know, I, I stayed on my path, but it was hard to, and, and to see that I was doing different things than my classmates, it gave me pause quite a bit. And so I would just tell myself to have the confidence to believe in myself and believe in, in the path that I was taking and not worry about what everybody else from the program was doing. And the last one, in respect to your education or your career path, is there anything that you wish you had done but didn't? Well, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty, And I, I guess that having gone through the journey up to this point, I wish I would have started the business side of my education sooner. But as we talked about before, at the same time, it's hard to call it a regret because the, the things that I did in broadcasting and uh, the communication skills that I learned do play into my role a lot. So I wish I would have started sooner. I wish that I would have gotten to the MBA sooner. Uh, just would have given me more time to use those tools. Um, but at the same time, I, I guess I, I wouldn't take it back. Right, and it seems to have worked out well. And I'm just, I'm so grateful that you've come on to the show today. I've learned a lot about that world. It's not one that I know about very much. And uh, it's been wonderful talking with you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of What the Job, and a special thanks to our guest, Reeve Bunn, for talking to us about his career. And as always, a reminder that the best place for alumni to connect with other alumni about jobs, mentorship, or volunteer opportunities is the online platform Switchboard. It's free, and you can try it out today at uab.ca slash sboard. It's a great tool no matter where you are in your career journey. That's it for this episode. For What the Job, I'm Matt Ray. See you next time.